find Hosea 7. When sin becomes our delight. When sin becomes our delight. Hosea 7. And actually tonight I'm reading from the NIV. Just curious, not not that it matters. What do y'all typically bring in here, translation? How many ESVs? Raise your hand. How many NIVs? Raise your hand. Uh, NLT, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, New American Standard, raise your hand. Okay. King James. King James, raise your hand. <laughs> New King James. Looks like still I'd say the NIVs have it, which is kind of typical of Bible sales anyway. Bible sales anyway, yeah. How about CSB? Anybody CSB? Okay. New Revised Standard. Re- New Revised Standard Version. Okay. I have an agency that the NIV is a good part nearly the entire Okay. Actually, now I'm not saying necessarily it's the best on all translation choices, but the 2011 NIV. Uh, along with the Net Bible, the NET, and the NIV 2011, has the best manuscript evidence behind it of any translations. So, I know people used to joke about that, the nearly inspired version, but actually it has the top manuscript evidence behind it. Again, not necessarily saying that doesn't always cross over that they chose the best word or phrase to use, but it has the best manuscript family behind it. So, anyway. Okay, uh, chapter 7. Whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim are exposed, and the crimes of Samaria revealed. They practice deceit, Thieves break into houses, bandits rob in the streets, but they do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them. They are always before me. They delight the king with their wickedness, the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven whose fire the baker need not stir. From the kneading of the dough till it rises, on the day of the festival of our king, the princes become inflamed with wine, and he joins hands with the mockers. Their hearts are like an oven. They approach him with intrigue. Their passion smolders all night. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall, and none of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against him. 
But despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. When they go, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Woe to them, because they have strayed, strayed from me. Destruction to them, because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but well on their beds. They slash themselves appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. I train them and strengthen their arms, but they plot evil against me. They do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent words. For this they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. Pass those back if you would please. And Glenn, I'm going to ask you to pull the volume down on this a little bit. Uh, again, when sin becomes our delight, you tell me when that gets better. Is that better? A little bit better? Okay. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, last week, we opened this section of Hosea talking about, talking about God's trial against His people. Uh, where God is the prosecuting attorney, and in addition to being the prosecutor, he's also the judge and jury. Well, tonight, in this section of Hosea, we see that God's trial against his people is continuing. That continues to be the overall theme in this section of Hosea of what we're reading about. And now, folks, as we go through this section of Hosea, you know, we tend to think, oftentimes that sin isn't that big of a deal. Or maybe we think it doesn't have far-reaching consequences to it. And what that reveals is how differently we think about sin from the way God thinks about sin. So the question is, are we going to have the mind of Christ or are we going to go with our own opinions? Hopefully we'll have the mind of Christ. I want you to listen to what James says in James chapter 1. You may want to turn there for just a moment. James chapter 1, and beginning in verse 14, James says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I want you to listen to this progression he mentions. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? To death. Is sin serious? You better believe it. You've heard me say the phrase before. I don't know who I'm quoting in this, but you've heard this phrase before. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. That's true, isn't it? Uh, this is basically, again, what this section of Hosea is demonstrating. It demonstrates the deception of sin and the cost of sin. Now, let me admit to you that if you tend to prefer those passages of Scripture that seem the most encouraging and the most uplifting, 
Uh, chances are this section of the book of Hosea isn't on your must-read list, okay? But it's a section that we need to hear, isn't it? The first thing I want you to see with me tonight is a people drowning in sin. A people drowning in sin. And you can reference the first ten verses again. And right away as it opens, God says, Whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim are exposed and the crimes of Samaria revealed. Folks, I read that opening to the chapter and I think, what a wasted opportunity. God would have brought healing to his people. And yet, what were they not willing to turn away from? They were not willing to turn away from their sin. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But they weren't willing to confess their sins. They weren't willing to recognize it and turn away from it. They wanted to continue in it. And so God says instead of healing them, instead their sin is exposed before me. The image here is that the people and the leaders alike are saturated with sin. They are in love with their sin. And as you read through the book of Hosea, what they specifically love is their thievery, their drinking, their partying, their adultery that they are committing. And while they are doing all of these sins, they're also encouraging others to participate along with them. Sounds like America, doesn't it? Now, folks, if you were to go to a, rip, a roughneck bar in town, you would expect to see people engaged in things that we're talking about here. But what's surprising in the book of Hosea, these were supposed to be God's people who, while they were doing all these things, were faithful in God's temple at the same time. But there was no life change in them. You know, we serve a gracious God who will forgive, but we must repent of our sins if we want to see God forgive us, if we want to see His cleansing power. And they weren't willing to turn away from it. So they were going to worship, they were giving all the right lip service, and then they were going back to their daily lives, and their daily lives looked just like the lost nations around them. What we need to remember is who Israel was supposed to be. Turn back to Exodus 19 with me for a moment. Exodus 19. And beginning in verse 1 of Exodus 19, it says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. 
They were God's chosen people to be a kingdom of priests, uh, to be a godly nation. That's who God had called them to be. I want you to remember what uh, Joshua challenged the people to be at, at the end of the book of Joshua. Remember when Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord? And the people said, we will too. And Joshua said, no, you can't. He is, a, he, he is a holy God, and He will destroy you if you don't mean business with Him. And they said, no, we really do mean business. We're with you, Joshua. We will serve the Lord. That's who they were called to be, and that's who they said they would be. And now they're anything but. They've entered the promised land. They've built their houses, their businesses. They have their farms, their herds. They're prospering. They go to the temple with lip service. But at the same time, they absolutely love their sin. From the most prominent among them, their leaders on the religious side and the secular side, their leaders love sin all the way down to the least among them. As a people, they love sin. Hosea 7 gives a picture of the life of a nation where we see that they have become everything that they were not supposed to be. And yet, that's who they are now. Precisely who God had warned them not to become and who they said they wouldn't become. But this is who they are. Has the same thing happened to us? You better believe it. Let me give the, some quotes of America I've used before. Some of you may remember these. Well, some of you probably won't because I first gave them to you back in 2005. So if you remember these, you've got a pretty good memory. Uh, let's begin with some quotes from the early days of the Supreme Court and some of the early justices. I want you to see how far we have fallen today from what our founding fathers said we were going to be. Listen to the words of John Jay. John Jay was the first chief justice and father of the Supreme Court and one of the primary writers of our Constitution. He said, and I quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians to be their rulers. John Jay, first chief uh, Supreme Court justice. In 1892, the Supreme Court declared this about Christianity in America. And again, I quote, Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based on and must include the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible for it to be otherwise. To this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. Also in 1892, in the case of Church, uh, Church of the Holy Trinity versus the U.S., 1892, the Supreme Court wrote, this is a religious people. This is historically true. From the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there's a single voice making this affirmation. These are not individual sayings, declarations of private persons. They are organic utterance. 
they speak the voice of the entire people. These and many other matters which might be noticed at a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. And not only did Congress in 1782 approve the use of the Bible in our schools, they even paid for it with tax dollars. And in 1844, when someone sued to remove them, the Supreme Court ruled, why should not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, be read and taught as a divine revelation in the schools? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? The Rhode Island Charter of 1683 begins, We submit our persons, lives, and estates unto our Lord Jesus Christ and the King of kings and Lord of lords and to all those perfect and most absolute laws of His given us in His most holy word. In 1643, as more and more people arrived on, on these shores, they joined together to form the New England Confederation. They wrote a constitution, the first constitution written in the New World, and it began with these words, whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. And did you know that the state of Delaware, along with most others, required office holders to take an oath affirming their Christian faith before they could take office? In 1876, the Constitution of North Carolina read, No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority of the Old or New Testaments or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and safety of the state shall be capable of holding any office or place of trust or profit uh, in the civil department within the state. Also, in 1862, at the height of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln issued a general order regarding the observance of the Sabbath in the military. It's dated November 15, 1862, and it says, The President, Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, desires and enjoins the orderly observance of the Sabbath by the officers and men in the military and naval service. The importance for man and beast of the prescribed weekly rest, the sacred rights of Christian soldiers and sailors, a becoming deference to the best sentiment of a Christian people, and a due regard for the divine will demand that Sunday labor in the Army and Navy be reduced to the measure of strict necessity. The discipline and character of the national forces should not suffer, nor the cause they defend be imperiled by the profanation of a day or name of the Most High. In the personal diary of George Washington, in his own handwriting, he says, Let my heart, gracious God, be so affected with your glory and majesty that I may discharge those weighty duties which thou requirest of me. Again, I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins. For the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me, thou gavest thy son to die for me and hast given me assurance of my salvation. Uh, over a 10-year period, political science professors at the University of Houston collected and cataloged 
15,000 writings by our founding fathers. And their goal was to determine the primary source of ideas behind the Constitution by identifying the sources quoted most often by them. Guess what the primary source was? The Bible. 94% of the quotes of the founders of our nation were based upon the Bible. Now folks, when you hear all that, and you look at where we are today in this country, is it amazing or what? Last week, Bill Nolan gave me an article, an article out of what publication? North State. Group of people elected to office somewhere in the D.C. area. I have the article. I forgot the exact location. They decided they weren't going to be sworn into office with their hand on the Bible. Or they said their hand wasn't going to be on any religious text for that matter. You know what they were going to put their hand on to be sworn into office? A stack of pornography. Folks, think about these quotes I've given you, where our founding fathers were in their ideals and convictions for this country and where we are today. You think what we're reading tonight, what the Scripture says Israel was to be and what they affirmed they would be. We get to the book of Hosea and we see what they had become. Do you think there's some parallels? Absolutely. There's some parallels. What is it that Hosea's people needed? And what do we need today? I'll tell you what we need. <laughs> we need an encounter with God exactly like the prophet Isaiah had with God in the temple in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple in his glory. And the seraphim were crying, flying around crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah just knew when he saw that vision of God glorified, he was going to die. And God cleansed him. And God commissioned him. God changed his life. That's exactly what people need. They need an encounter with God like that. I realize the circumstances and details of that encounter with God may be different, slightly different with everybody, but nonetheless, that's what people need. They need an encounter with God, a life-changing encounter. The people of Hosea's day needed that, and the people of our day today need it as well. We need an encounter with God that changes us. They were so hot in their passion for sin Hosea says here they are like an oven that doesn't even need to have the coals stoked. The coals are so hot, it's constantly good to go. In other words, they don't have to get it cranked up and ready to cook on. And likewise in their lives, they're so passionate to sin, they don't have to get cranked up and ready to sin. They're ready to go. They're ready to sin and ready to stay in their sin. That was their condition. 
And he goes on in this chapter to say there was no distinction between them and the nations that they were supposed to be a witness to. They become just like the pagan nations around them. Folks, God had promised to look after their needs, but he says now in this chapter that their strength is gone, their productivity is gone, and they are being consumed by others. And what's more tragic is they don't even realize their condition. He says they are like a loaf half-baked or like a man getting older and grayer, and yet he doesn't even have sense enough to realize he's getting older and grayer. The loaf half-cooked. Anybody cooking could see that one side is getting overdone while the other side is raw, is just raw batter. Anybody could see that. But they don't see their condition. And their strength is gone. They've given their strength to sin, and sin has beaten them down, and yet they don't see it. We studied somebody like this recently in the New Testament, the letters to the churches. Remember who it was we looked at? The Laodiceans. Remember how they said, we're rich, and hey, we don't need anything. They had that ISAV industry there and the wool industry, and the banking industry. We're rich, well-clothed, we see. God says, you don't see, you're blind. You're not well-clothed. You're naked. You don't realize how desperate you are. The Laodiceans thought of themselves as one way, and God says, you're not that way at all. You're the other way, and you don't even see And that's the same thing that was going on here in Hosea chapter 7. It's the same thing going on today. And they're so blind, he says, they they don't even seek him. They don't even seek him. There in verse 10, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. They don't even seek him anymore. He goes on to say... uh, In verse 10, the beginning of verse 10, Israel's arrogance testifies against him. Not only are they blind and don't see their condition, they're actually proud of who they have become. They're overwhelmed with sin and they're proud of it. They love what they've become. They think they're great. Again, think of our nation today. You think of how people in America take pride in some of their lifestyles. They want to march and celebrate it to show it off. They're proud of it. You read Hosea 7 and you really come to understand human nature hasn't really changed at all, has it? We're just like them. Well, secondly, I want you to see a people whose sin has made them lose common sense and direction. A people whose sin has made them lose common sense and direction. He says in verse 11, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. 
When they go, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Woe to them because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but well on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. I train them and strengthen their arms, but they plot evil against me. They do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bug. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent words. For this, they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. When they get in trouble, they don't even return to the Lord, God tells them. They don't return to Him. Instead, what is it that they do? They're looking to other nations to help them. He compares them to a dove, a bird, that just flies here and there, doesn't even know where it's going. Here one minute, there another minute. They flit around, but whatever they think is going to help them at the moment. And they fail to see what it is they need to do. They need to fix the foundation. But they're not willing to address the foundation of what's really wrong in their nation. They're just flitting off to whatever they think is going to help them for that moment. Now there's something interesting about doves that I read about. You can put grain on the ground. You can sprinkle some, if you want to trap them, you can sprinkle some grain on the ground. Put a, put a box over the grain, prop it up with a stick. And the doves can be watching you do this. And you can tie a rope around the, the stick. And you can take your rope and you can walk way over here, get far enough from the doves that they don't think you're a danger to them. And what are they going to do? They're going to go right over under that box to that grain. They've seen what you've, you've been doing. But they're, they're going to waltz right over there and they're going to eat that despite the fact that you're going to pull that stick and that box is going to come down over them. They don't have any more sense about them than to avoid doing something like this. And that's what God is comparing His people to here. God says He's going to trap them. He's going to spread His net over them. He's promising them that His judgment is coming. Folks, we read the Bible and we see judgment is coming whether we like it or not. Judgment's coming. And then He says at the end of the chapter they're like a faulty bug. God has trained them. God has prepared them. But now they go their own way. And they're like those who have failed to tend to their weapons. They have their bow, their weapon of war. And God's trained them in how to do everything. But they're not even tending to their weapons. They've gotten slack. And, and it's like they just don't even care anymore. And what's God saying about it here? Basically, he's saying you lack total common sense. There's no common sense in the nation anymore. This is what sin has done to them. 
This is what they become because of their sin. And you know, again, I couldn't help but think about some of the things going on today in society and in our schools. And sometimes you just shake your head and say, where is, where is basic common sense? Have we become such fools that we don't even recognize anymore that we've become fools? Is that what we've become? Am I the only one in here thinks like that? Sometimes you look at what's going on in the nation and you, you read news headlines about what some group of people is doing somewhere, what somebody's done, and you're just shaking your head. Or, or you read articles about what some leader somewhere has done in the country, and you're like, have we lost our minds? Do we not have an ounce of, do we not have a thimble full of common sense anymore? Have you ever thought that? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm not, I'm not by myself. Here's the bullies. <laughs> and as he points out in verse 16, their leaders are making crazy decisions and, and their leaders are going to fall. They're going to come to a ruin one way or another. This is what's going to happen to them. Man, don't you feel encouraged after reading this chapter? <laughs> Just such an uplifting chapter. But again, it's true. It's an indictment from God against His people. A couple of takeaways from tonight. Sin is not funny, and it's not a light matter. Sin is not funny, and it's not a light matter. It has consequences whether or not we see it presently or not. There is no good outcome to it. Secondly, sin can quickly spread like an aggressive cancer. Sin can quickly spread like an aggressive cancer. And then thirdly, here's a big one. Sin can numb the senses to where we don't even recognize the paths we're taking. Sin can numb the senses to where we don't even recognize the paths we are taking. Now folks, of course, we know the remedy to all this, don't we? What's the remedy? What did God ultimately do for us? He sent us His Son to die for our sin. But you know what? We've got to come to Him. We've got to repent of our sins and we've got to come to Him. And if we'll repent of sin and come to Him, He's promised He'll cleanse us and give us new life. And you know what we'll experience when we experience His salvation? We'll experience the freedom that He promises. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. So there it is. You have God on the one hand and His cleansing power and the freedom He brings or you can have your sin on the other hand and all the dark places it's going to take you to and the bondage that you're going to end up in. That's the two things. Which are we going to choose? Which are we going to choose? I don't hold out a great deal of hope for our nation anymore. 
I'm glad I can look at, out at the people of God and I can hold out hope for you, for us. Hopefully the people of God will have sense enough to wake up and realize what we're doing. And we'll turn to it, even if the nation doesn't. Because again, quite frankly, I don't see the nation doing it. I can't help but think we're too far gone. And you know that's sad. Israel was too far gone. We saw that last time, last week. God was going to bring the ten northern tribes to an end. They were too far gone. It was too late. And sometimes I wonder today if it's not too late for America. But remember tonight as you leave, it's not too late for you. Okay? Any comments or questions? Well, I remember uh, my dad was in the army in 1941. They actually gave them a new testament. And the people were doing that. Yeah. They did the military. And I remember in schools, elementary schools in Charlotte growing up, the Gideons would always be there passing out New Testaments. I remember that like it was yesterday. But our little ones don't see that anymore. You know, there's, there's an old saying, well, it's, really it's a saying that I'm hearing now more than, than I have in years. But we, we heard it in the, in the Navy a lot. Good times bring weak men. Bad times bring strong men. Yeah. Uh, and you didn't say that instead of men, you'd say that about nations. Sure. But the one thing that I, I really have my hopes on is the generation of the, team, the, 20, the 2020 graduates of that Generation Z. Mm -hmm. Look at what they did last year in 2023. Talk about a, a major revival of this country. Yeah. It was all started by 18, 19, 20 year olds. You're talking about Asbury? At all. I mean, Asbury was just a start, but then, I mean, multiple colleges did it all sure. across the country. Sure. Um, so here's hoping. There, You're right. There's hope. I mean, God may turn his back on a generation, but I don't know if God's going to turn his back on the, the nation, per se. You know, because there's a, there's a lot that this nation has going for it that's still help doing God's ministry in the world. Whether the elected officials, and the, the 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 bullies they call us homophobic and, and everything else. They don't want to see it, but there's a reason why the Stars and Stripes and the Statue of Liberty are bringing in illegal immigrants. And, and you know, so I hear what you're saying about God turning His back on the nation. I do think He's got His head down on our nation right now. But but again, uh, I base that on the fact the ten northern tribes. 722 BC, they're done for. Yep. They're done. God said, enough is enough. They crossed the line. Enough is enough. 722, gone. And and that was that was his people. But, but he, so, he also left two nations. Hey now, don't get me wrong. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But I'm just saying, if God did it to his to his people, 
let's don't think that he wouldn't do it to us as well. Well, if we think that he won't, we're arrogant. And that's, sure. and that's the problem with this country. This country thinks that the people of this country think that nothing will happen to us. Yeah. But yet, again, good times make weak people, sure. but they make arrogant weak people. Yeah. You want a humble person? Look at him go through a hard time and see how humble you become. Sure. You know, so. Builds character. George? Just a comment. I was in grade school in Kannapolis in the early 40s, and the superintendent of the Kannapolis schools required everybody to take a course in Bible. Mm -hmm. I had a certificate that I'd finished. Yeah. Go home and Google and look up the New England Primer that was used in the educational system in America until the early 20th century, the New England Primer. And look at the lessons in that. And the lessons in that, many of them based on the Bible, when you read those lessons, uh, it would be tough for adults in churches today to really make their way successfully through some of those lessons. I mean, those elementary kids had to explain doctrines like sanctification and glorification, justification. They had to ex explain various other Christian doctrines and go into detail. They were asked other very specific questions about Scripture. And you read some of those lessons from the New England Primer, and quite frankly, you ask yourself, how many adults in evangelical churches today could even successfully make their way through some of those lessons? And again, that, that was used in our public schools until the early 20th century. So just like you're saying, how it used to be, how you remember uh, the godly training you got in schools. And today, our, our public schools wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole, sadly. Well, isn't it Thomas Jefferson, and he was the chairman of the school board, or I forget the title. He required in Virginia two textbooks, mm -hmm. the Bible and the hymn book of Isaac Watts was required. Grammar school, I can remember a teacher um, she brought out the Bible and had the students every morning, you know, read something out of the Bible, usually Psalms or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was that went on through grammar school. I can remember that, you know. And, um, but my my brother, he talks to uh, uh, Elise Stefanik, you know, the the one that's uh, in the government. Mm -hmm. And I tell her she's in New, New York, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, she she asked my brother a lot what's going on because he's in charge of a big area in, in New York State. And I said, tell tell her to to uh, vote Christian values. And he said, well, she's Catholic. Christian values, I told him. And it seems like she's she's doing that. You know, she's trying to you know. But, um, you know, I, I can remember the, the statement that Jack Watson used to say, um, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And you have down here that they, 
lot of the countries must be laughing at us. You know, God's given us country great things under our feet, and we're going begging to other countries for things uh, that we have right under our feet. Yep. You know, and it's uh, it's crazy. That's one of the Psalms, actually. Righteousness exalts a nation. Yeah, but sin is a reproach to any people. Yeah. I want to say it's Psalm 33. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's Psalm 33. Yeah. We have uh, we have friends in uh, in uh, Ontario, Canada. Like 20, 30 years ago, they they wanted uh, they were having trouble with Quebec, Ontario, and they thought so highly of the United States as late as 20, 30 years ago that they were hoping. Ontario would separate from Canada and become a, a part of the United States. Now, I've, I'm very embarrassed right now. I don't think they'd ever consider that. We've come a long way in 20, 30 years. Sure. This is a guy that today that did my nails with all crazy things that was talking to me. And it's funny because he was talking about how American... It, the 20-year-olds and stuff are so smart, right? Computer-wise, he said, but they don't have any common sense. He said, and the problem with America, and he surprised me, is that they have too much freedom. And I'm like, okay. He says, you have too much freedom to decide what sex you want to be or who you want to marry or all this kind of stuff. And I don't know that this guy was a Christian, but he says that's what's wrong with America is too much freedom. He said they need to have a country, what like I'm from, where they tell you, you can't do that. You can't do that. He says, because our morals in America are awful. And I'm sitting there looking at because he's probably Buddhist or something. I don't know. But he he said, if you look at the football team players, he said, if you look at the football players that took the knee, they're all American. He said, you watch those basketball players and them soccer players that are from other countries. He said, and they're proud to put their hand on the Jets. He, he had me thinking about it. And it's funny that the sermon was about we're, that. We're so soft on crime. Where is it? Right. Is it Singapore? The public canes? Certain crimes? You know, they catch you shoplifting or something. Yeah. Public caning? And it's not soft. I mean, it's mm. hard. And guess what? They don't have crime. <laughs> they don't have crime. Right. Unless they're the WNBA players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would I would tell him we we just use our freedoms poorly. Yeah, well, you know. we talk. I I think he realized by the time I left that I was a Christian. You know, we're thankful for our freedoms. We just right. We haven't been responsible stewards with That's our right. freedoms. Yeah. I have a lot of Christians. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those those that are against what we're for sure. stand up, and we don't. Yeah.